Hi everyone, you've probably heard people who follow Jesus called disciples or the church talking about discipleship. Now the biblical word disciple, methetes, literally means learner. So the very fact that you're watching this means hopefully that you're learning something about Jesus. Therefore, you are already a disciple. But what you learn, how you learn and how you apply that is all important. A few years ago, I was driving the family back from a camping trip and I was using Google Maps to find our way home. After driving a little bit, Google Maps told me to turn off onto a quieter road. I thought, well, maybe there's a jam ahead, so I obeyed. But then it told me to turn into an even quieter road. And then it said, turn through this gate and to drive into a field. Sarah said, this can't be right, but I stupidly just obeyed and then got to the middle of the field and stopped and thought, you're right, this can't be correct. I looked at Google Maps. Sure enough, the destination home was correct. But then I realized what I'd done. I'd accidentally hit not journey by car, but journey by foot. Hence, we were in a field. The destination was right, but the journey was all messed up. Faith is a journey, not just a destination. And this journey is discipleship. Now, long before Google Maps or Waze, people would often set off on a journey with a compass. So my talk today is called The Compass of Discipleship. Let me read the passage to you. This is Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Amen. In this passage, Jesus models the directions of discipleship. What are they? Firstly, up. Verse 12 says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. You know, Jesus had an important decision to make. Which of his many followers should he choose to be his inner circle, to invest in intentionally? So what does he do? He goes up and he goes up in two senses. Firstly, he goes up and spends the night on a mountainside. Throughout scripture, we often see that when people want to hear from God, they go up a mountain. There's something important about thinking alone, listening to God, but also needing to feel close to God, having the inspiration of those mountaintop experiences. And that's what we hope Sundays at HTBB will feel like if you come to the physical church. You go up, not a mountain, but to the top of lot, 
10 shopping mall. And we hope the services elevate you in worship to see and hear with greater clarity. But you can't live on a mountaintop. We're not meant to. Monday morning awaits. Yes, you get a great view from a mountain. You get clarity of vision, a different perspective, but not a lot of vegetation grows on top of a mountain. Most of the lush green growth is in the valley amongst the challenges of life. That's why when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law, he then faced the idolatry of the people who'd made a golden calf to worship. Or when Elijah came down from the victory of Mount Carmel, he's then hunted by Queen Jezebel. Or when Jesus came down from the glory of the Mount of Transfiguration, the first thing he has to do is set free the boy who was tormented by an evil spirit. And here in Luke 6, when Jesus comes down the mountain, he's surrounded by the crowds of sick people who need healing. It's in the valleys that our growth takes place. But it's the mountaintop moments that give us renewed clarity of vision and inspiration. Jesus goes up. But the second way in which he goes up, and far more importantly, is that he prays to God the Father. Now, Luke's gospel puts a particular emphasis on prayer. So, for example, only in Luke's account do we see that it's whilst Jesus is praying at his baptism that the Holy Spirit descends on him. Or it's after Jesus finishes praying at the start of Luke chapter 11 that a disciple asks him to teach them how to pray, and he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And here in Luke 6, we see that Jesus, the Son of God, the one who said, I and the Father are one, even he felt the need to spend a whole night in prayer before making an important decision. Do we do the same? I sense there's someone watching this and you have a decision to make and the Lord is prompting you to ask him in prayer about it so that he can guide you. Taking our burdens, our questions, our decisions, our thanks, our praise to God in prayer is so important. Why? Well, yes, we'll often hear an answer from God, but also we'll grow in our relationship with him. Do you know, on uh, the Alpha course, when I help host a small group, week five, the topic is on prayer. And I'm often asked a question like this. Is it okay to pray for a parking space? This, I think, is a particularly Malaysian question. But what the people are really asking is, is it okay for me to pray a sort of not very important small prayer to God? Or, or, or should I not pray that sort of parking space prayer? Because there are people who have much more important things to pray for, like healing and health issues. And I always say to them, yes, it is good to pray for a parking space. Why do I say that? Well, firstly, it's not like God is finite. He's infinite. Answering your little prayers doesn't mean he's got less power with which to answer other people's big prayers. But more importantly than that, I say, yes, pray for a parking space, because number one, if you only reserve your prayers for the really infrequent big requests of life, then you'll only have the opportunity to thank God when you get an answer infrequently in life. Whereas if you ask him multiple little prayers each day, like a parking space, then there's more opportunities to thank him when he answers and you'll grow in gratitude. The second reason why I say it's good to pray for a parking space is because at the end of the day, whether you get that parking space immediately or not, 
that's not really the issue, the point of it. The bigger point is that in praying, in communicating with God, you'll grow in your relationship with him as you pray in the everyday. About 400 years ago, a young man called Nicholas Herman was fighting in a war in Europe and God spoke to him on the battlefield. He saw this barren tree and he felt that God say to him, just as a season will come when that tree will bloom and become fruitful again, so you will come into a season in your life when you will be fruitful. Five years later, uh, Nicholas had to come out of the army. He was injured in the leg. He then tried to be a footman, being uh, waiting on an aristocratic family. But in his, in his own words, he was big and clumsy and failed at that. So by the age of 21, he'd had two professions and sort of failed at both. Despondent, he went to a priory uh, in Paris to enter life with the friars there, the monks. At first, they put him in the ki kitchen to wash the dishes, but because of his injured leg, he couldn't stand for long. So they then moved him to the workshop where he could sit down each day and work, uh, helping me mend and make sandals for the other monks. Everyone who was at the Priory wanted to get promoted so they could work in the chapel because that chapel was beautiful and it had the first and at the time only domed roof in the whole of Paris. But Nicholas never got promoted. He spent 50 years as a cobbler, sitting and working in the workshop. But something amazing happened. Over the years, flocks of people started to stream to the Priory, but they weren't coming to see the beautiful chapel. They were queuing up to go and spend time with the cobbler in the workshop. Nicholas was given the name Brother Lawrence, and he would teach people about what he called practicing the presence of God finding God in the everyday and praying to him. He said these words, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Prayer is communication with God and no relationship can flourish without regular communication. A number of years ago, I was working in an office and I had a really important decision to make. So I decided, okay, on this particular date in the diary, I'm gonna skip lunch, I'll fast, uh, and then I'll pray to God and he'll give me an answer. The day came, I took my Bible, I went out of the office and I walked to the local park. I sat down on the bench and I prayed, Lord, would you speak to me? And immediately a scripture reference came into my mind. I thought, oh, brilliant, bang on cue, just in time, Lord, thank you. So I eagerly turned to the passage expectant at what it was. The reference that come into my mind was Isaiah 58 verse five. But then I read that verse. It says this, is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? God had spoken clearly. He was sort of scolding me saying, look, if you really want to know what I think, take the time to get to know me. When we read the Bible, when we pray, we're investing in a relationship, not using God and prayer as some sort of slot machine for requests, 
It's why when the disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? He begins the Lord's Prayer with the relational words, our Father. He does not begin the Lord's Prayer with the words, hey, Siri. I remember once at the end of a service when we encouraged people to come forward to receive prayer, this guy came up to me. I said, how can I pray for you? And do you know what he said? He said, oh yeah, please could you pray for me to win the lottery? I was like, okay, that's not quite how it works. Uh, why don't you come on Alpha? But thankfully, even though we're encouraged to pray upwards in the little things of life, God in his grace does indeed answer big prayer requests too. I once went as part of a small team to launch Alpha in Panama. We'd gone to train a load of churches there and to get to the conference location, we had to uh, go in a, a minibus and drive through the jungle. And this particular jungle road was notorious for being inhabited with bandits that would often hijack cars. So we were a bit nervous, especially as we had to drive in this bus through the jungle road at night. Well, guess what happened? Yep, bang in the middle of the night, suddenly the bus broke down. We were all a bit scared. The driver got out, looked under the bonnet and said, it's the battery, it's completely dead. The thing won't start. At which point somebody said, well, have we prayed about it? And to my embarrassment, I realized, gosh, we were so scared and nervous about the situation, we hadn't prayed. So we went outside, we laid our hands on the bonnet and in the name of Jesus, we prayed for the van to start. The driver turned the key. <laughs> the van started perfectly. We jumped back in and he started to drive off. As he drove off, slightly in shock, he passed me his phone. I said, well, what's this? He goes, battery dead, can you pray for that too? I said, okay, okay, I can't do this on demand. But the Lord answered our big prayer request. But maybe you feel like you've run out of battery. Maybe you need the Lord to fill you today with his presence and his power again. Do you need more up in your journey with him? The second direction on the compass of discipleship is in. In verse 13, we read this. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Jesus chose 12 disciples to invest in, to train, to do life-on-life -life discipleship with. And how does he equip and, train, equip and train them? In the context of community. He called them to him. And this really is a picture of the church. Ultimately, we're all learning from Jesus, but his preferred model for doing this is in community because this accelerates the learning. And to be honest, it's a lot more fun. As the poet John Donne said, no man is an island. And discipleship in community is so important. Firstly, our character is revealed and formed and shaped most of all when we're rubbing shoulders with others. When um, uh, we were younger, we had this game we used to play as a family. You know, our family, uh, we're a quiet lot really, and we're all quite polite. But don't be fooled. 
there is a competitive streak that runs through every one of us in our family. And this came out when we used to play this game. It's a card game called Happy Families. Now, this card game used to get so competitive, so heated, that we even once made one of our cousins who was playing with us cry. And I had to ban the game in our house. I mean, the irony of it. It's called Happy Families. It was banned. And likewise, in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, the disciples are having this competitive argument amongst themselves as to who is the greatest. And of course, Jesus gives them the answer, the least is the greatest. Now, that learning, that growth opportunity for the disciples and for my family wouldn't have arisen without the group context being in play. So community helps shape our character. Secondly, community helps us keep going on our journey. You know, when geese fly, they fly in a formation together, don't they? And that's because by flying together, they can travel 70% further than if they try and fly alone. It's probably the same with us. So get into that connect group, get into some form of small group or join a team. And thirdly, we often discern God's will for our lives best in community. This was true for the disciples. It was also true for St. Francis of Assisi. He knew that God was calling him to serve the poor, but he didn't know whether that meant he should go out into the world and serve them practically, or whether he should withdraw to the monastery and dedicate his life praying for their needs. So what did he do? He didn't try to discern alone. He said to his friends, would they please pray for him and listen to God on his behalf? Then the day came when he invited all of his friends to him. When they arrived, he one by one washed their feet, changed, gave them a fresh change of clothes and placed a meal before them. And then when they were refreshed, he humbly knelt down and he said these words, what does my Lord Jesus command from me? And one by one, they all said the same thing. We think the Lord is calling you out into the world to serve the poor. And St. Francis obeyed and the world was changed. And there's another important lesson about community because we see that the way to raise up, disciple and invest in others, whether you're leading a, a connect group or an alpha small group or serving on a team or you're in a workplace fellowship or you're just living out your faith in your family, there's an important principle to remember, which is it's okay to choose to invest in a smaller number of people rather than a larger group. Jesus, the son of God himself, decided that he could go further with 12 than with 120. And even one of those 12 didn't work out too well. And within the 12, Jesus had Peter, James and John with whom he took up the man of transfiguration with himself. And then he chose just Peter to be the leader of the early church. This is not favoritism, but pragmatism. And life on life discipleship requires us to let a small number of people get close to us. St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, you know, I didn't only share the gospel with you, but didn't I share my life with you also? So let me ask you a question. 
Who are you going to, going to let get close to you? And in so doing, our role is to point them to Jesus. Jesus is the true north on the discipleship compass. Do you need more in, more community in your journey? Up, in, and then the third point of the compass is out. Verse 17, we read this. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus didn't stay up the mountain. Instead, he comes down and goes out into the crowds with his disciples. He heals the sick. He cures those troubled by evil spirits. And then he teaches the crowds in the rest of the chapter. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus teaches the crowds uh, the Sermon on the Mount on the mountainside. But here in Luke, he teaches them on the plain at the foot of the mountain. And this pattern of up, in and out is re repeated throughout Luke's gospel. We see it here in Luke 6. And then at the start of Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12. And then afterwards, in Luke 9 verse 10, we read, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And then in Luke 9.28, Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James and John before going down and out to deliver and heal the boy. And as Jesus' disciples, he still sends us, you and me, out to do the same today. We're to go into the world. He called his 12 disciples apostles. But the word apostolos literally means those who are sent. So in one way, we're all apostles sent into the world. Monday morning, you're an apostle sent into the workplace, sent into your school, sent into your community for Jesus. And notice how it says there were people in the crowd from Jerusalem, Judea, and Tyre and Sidon, two Gentile cities. This links to what Luke records later on the risen Jesus is saying to his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, that power will come upon them from the Holy Spirit and they're to go and be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the world. And then it's repeated again at the end of Matthew's gospel in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Today starts uh, a very exciting week in the life of HTBB. We're, we're launching these contextualized uh, alpha film series. The alpha videos contextualized in Chinese and for Indonesia in Bahasa and for India in Tamil and Hindi. And this is an exciting time of the gospel going out to the region. But also we're starting Alpha again here at HTBB on the 6th of July. 
and next week is week two. It's not too late to invite somebody. We're running it both on-site and online. Who could you invite to come and hear the good news? And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be Jesus' body, his hands and his feet out in the world. We read in verse 19 that all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. There's a woman uh, at HTBB in the congregation called May. And I always used to notice May because she came into church literally wrapped up from head to toe with shawls and trousers and scarves and sort of long sleeves. And it was like she was going on a European skiing holiday. And the reason why she was uh, dressed rather oddly like this is I found out, unfortunately, May had developed uh, a, a really unfortunate allergy to air conditioning. Can you imagine it? You're living in Malaysia and you're allergic to aircon. Whenever her skin was exposed to air conditioning, she would come out in terrible rash and in hives and it would just be so uncomfortable. But a few weeks ago in church, there was a word of knowledge given from the front that somebody had a skin condition that the Lord wanted to heal them from. So May came forward for prayer and she was prayed for in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit to be healed. And God healed her from that allergy. If you come to church day, you'll see May, short sleeves, skirt, completely healed. You can receive that healing power today as well. The discipleship compass is up, it's in and it's out. And if there's a fourth direction on the compass, it's probably the preposition of. You see, you're a child of God. You go in the name of Christ, part of the church, part of the body of Christ. And he loves you. Jesus is your true north. Why don't we pray right now? You might want to open your hands to allow yourself to open your heart, as it were, and just pray this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me and rest upon me right now? Just receive the love of God wherever you are. And I wonder which direction do you feel the Spirit might be encouraging you to focus on in your walk with the Lord? Is it more up, conversational prayer? Is it more in, formation and community? Or is it more out, to proclaim and to serve others in the power of the Spirit? And I want to pray for healing right now, miraculous healing, if you need that today. Or maybe you, you long for it for somebody you know right now on their behalf, you can pray. I think there might be somebody with, uh, you've got a hearing issue or some issue in your ear. I want to believe that the Lord wants to heal you right now. And someone else with um, a back 
a back spasm. It's been flaring up recently. I want to pray for your healing. And others, you've got sort of acid reflux issues. Whatever your prayer request, or if you're one of those specific words of knowledge, just command the pain and the condition, the ailment to be gone right now in the name of Jesus. Receive your healing in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want prayer, you can click request prayer right now or you can write in, uh, email us and we will pray for you. Just continue to receive from the Spirit right now as we worship once again. Amen.